Welcome back, everybody, to Story Simple Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of Scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always, by Jackie Mitchell. Good morning. She's here with with a with a coffee. No coffee for her co-host, but uh, anyways. Yeah, no worries. We'll, 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 <laughs> I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Last week, we had an episode where we reviewed the Story Simple Spirit hermeneutic, right? So yeah. we kind of like reviewed that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did an excellent job of hosting that oh, thanks. Maybe I, I should just maybe I should kind of do all the intros and hosting and stuff for now. On. We should probably take a vote from from our from our loyal <laughs> listeners on that before we. Yeah, please vote. Before, leave <laughs> leave a comment. <laughs> uh, so so that was kind of like a, a different kind of episode. You know, we we yeah. did like a recap. Um, we we went through all three aspects of our hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. We kind of figured out you know where we have come to so far. We answered some some listener questions, and so today. We get back into the Bible with Genesis 24. Yeah. And this is kind of like a story of matchmaking and kind of romance, you know, in the a ancient little, world yeah. form of, of arranged of marriages. Yeah. Uh, and so Abraham's senior servant, who we've actually met before, we'll talk about that, mm. is going to be sent out to find a wife for Isaac, who is the seed, right? Mm-hmm. And before we get started, uh, as we kind of think about this sort of like idea of matchmaking, mm-hmm. Are you one of those people who watch The Bachelor? I, I have a caveat to it, but yeah, Josh what's your, and I what's do. Your caveat? My husband and I watch The Bachelor in Paradise because oh. I, I think it it provides you like more drama, and there's always like a couple or a couple couples that you're like rooting for. I think like The Bachelor we or The Bachelorette, we run into this problem where like if The Bachelor or The Bachelorette doesn't pick the like one guy we were rooting for, the one girl we were rooting for. It's like I don't want to watch the rest of the season. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you like you start you, start you like get teams. mad. You're like, oh, it's not the right guy, and but then you just the, like turn the TV off. But The Bachelor in Paradise is, is like there's so it's equal amounts ish of guys and girls that mm-hmm. like a couple people leave each week. But to me, that's better because there's always like one or two couples that like stay together the whole time, and you're like, that's cute. And there's always like way more drama because it's like tons of like couples, and you can kind of like break up and start dating someone else. Like it gets like real messy. But there's always someone to root for and there's always like someone that you're rooting f- to like break up or go home. Mm. And I feel I, I feel like that's the only episode, that's the only seasons that I can like get all the way through. Is this like an annual thing to do it? Yeah, an- they they film it in the summer, so it should be coming up in the fall. Like not that I know the season, but Josh and I are like, yeah, an- we're like waiting. We're like so anxiously awaiting. So they do a bachelor and a bachelorette and a bachelor uh-huh. in paradise every year? Yeah, and the bachelor in paradise is only people who have been on the bachelor or the bachelorette returning cast kind of deal. So then it's like, oh, I saw him on that last season and he was he was mean. So then you're like... So then that's who you probably root for. No, no. <laughs> but it is like, you know a little bit about them. But I have heard they're doing a golden bachelor coming up. What's that mean? It's, a, it's like the guy's like 70. Did you know that? Why is that called golden? It's oh, like your golden gold. years, like the golden girls. It's oh, all okay. like, it's it's like dating like later in life. So like an older, an older yeah. version yeah. of the... I think it's coming out soon, actually. I think they're just trying to like milk they're that really, cash cow for everything. There's every type of bachelor, yeah. yeah. So so I don't really watch The Bachelor. I'm more of a, a Real Housewives you, fan. That's right, you are. I forgot about that. Uh, but, but the reason I bring that up is because it's kind of interesting, you know, I, now I don't know exactly how the show works. But okay. the person who's choosing is obviously looking for certain characteristics and yeah. people that they choose, uh-huh. right? This is kind of what gets, I don't know if it's exciting or what you want to say, but it's kind of why you can make something like selecting a boyfriend or girlfriend a, a, a reality TV show. Yeah. 
Because it's like you're looking for something and then yeah. they're displaying characteristics and you're trying to figure out. And so we're actually going to see a little bit of that here, not mm-hmm. in the modern sense of the way that, that we date, but we are going to see that uh, Eleazar, the senior servant, is sent out with some requirements mm-hmm. that are required for to, to find the wife for, for Isaac. And so we will get into that shortly. Before we do a quick recap, if you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Give us five stars. Share the podcast with a friend or a family member. And so let's go ahead and let's get into it. So we we did Genesis 22 a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. What was that about? That was the almost sacrifice of Isaac. Right. And we talked about the Christological implications in that. Yeah. So what happened there? Yeah. So Abraham is called to go up on onto a mountain and sacrifice mm-hmm. his son. And he says, yes. And we talked about how he believes in God so much and God's promise of the seed um, that he believes uh, really that like God will raise Isaac for the, from the dead. Right. And so he goes and he obeys and right about as he's about to sacrifice Isaac, God gives a substitutionary yep. sacrifice, which is a ram, which has extreme Christological implications. Yeah. And it's kind of doubled because the angel of the Lord that appears. Yeah, yeah, is, exactly. Is Christ, which is Christ. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So that was like really like the key Christological chapter. Of, so in of, the story so far. Yeah. So far, right? Yeah. Uh, and so then, then we did Genesis 23, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of a, a lesser known chapter. Mm-hmm. But what was that about? Uh, Sarah died. Yeah. So Sarah dies and they buy the cave. And yeah. so that's going to have implications yeah. here going forward. Uh, and so here today, this is kind of, this chapter is sort of the last act of Abraham. Wow. To send yeah. a servant to find Isaac a wife and to begin the, the family for, for his seed. Because next chapter, Abraham's going to die. Yeah. And then we're pretty quickly going to get into the story of Jacob and Esau. Yeah, there's not too much on Isaac after no. that before we get into his sons. Yeah. And so uh, much less time is going to be spent on Isaac yeah. than, than has been spent on Abraham, uh, which is kind of interesting. And, and yeah, I don't really know like what that means. we're wrapping up like saying goodbye to a beloved character. Yeah, because we've yeah. been on this for probably 15 weeks now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have. Just in, in the way that we've kind of stopped and, and recapped and everything. And so... um uh, even in this chapter, like Isaac's not really the main character. No. It's about him. Yeah. Like the what's happening, the events concern him centrally. Right. But the actors in it are going to be Abraham and then the servant and then Rebecca and Rebecca's family. Yeah. I think we've only heard him speak one time so far. Yeah. But we've heard so much about him. Yeah. And so we're not going to hear much more from yeah. him this chapter. <laughs> no. But we are going to hear more about him. Yeah. And so let's begin Genesis 24, 1 through 4. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Yeah, so it begins by saying that Abraham is blessed in every way. Every way, yeah. And I think that this is an important thing just for us to stop and pause on for a second because the way that the Bible talks about blessing mm-hmm. sometimes intersects with the way that we tend to think about blessing. Sure, yeah. But sometimes it's a little bit different than the way that we think about blessing. So Abraham is certainly blessed, right? He walks mm-hmm. with God. He becomes the mission carrier for God. He conceives the seed through whom the world's going to be blessed. God fights for him when he mm-hmm. finds himself in trouble. He has possessions and wealth and power. Mm-hmm. And so he's blessed for sure. But we just spent, you know, whatever I said, 12, 14, 15 weeks. Yeah. His life hasn't really been easy. Uh, no, no. Right? 
So not at all. Trials and tribulations. He lost his cousin Lot. Yeah. His wife has been taken from him by two separate tyrants, and God has had to intervene. Yeah. Uh, he had to leave everything he ever knew, go to a strange land with nothing more than a kind of a general promise. And he had to wait a hundred years for a promised mm-hmm. son with a name like exalted father mm-hmm. and the father of many. And so the, the blessings are real, but I think it's just important just to think, reflect on the life of Abraham for a second, that blessing does not equal easy. Yeah. And so he is blessed in every way and, and now he's old. And so he speaks to his senior servant, and, and I think this is a pretty interesting character because this is a foreigner, mm. um, not from the line of Abraham. Okay. But he's adopted into the family of Abraham, yeah. right, in, in a way. Uh, and we've talked about how the, the blessings of the family of Abraham extend to anyone who comes into the family, right, yeah. with loyalty and calls upon the name of the Lord. And so uh, his, his uh, um, this senior servant, his name is Eleazar of Damascus. Mm. Um, this is who Abraham was talking to when he told God, I have no child. So right now my heir is, is Eleazar of Damascus, my, oh, my senior okay. servant. Yeah, right? the head of my household. And so if not for Isaac, this is the person who would inherit all of Abraham's estate, mm. right? All of his wealth, everything. And so look at what Abraham asks him to do. Yeah. He asks the guy who's basically next in line to go find Isaac a wife mm-hmm. so that Isaac can start a family take the inheritance and, and, and move, you know, the, the blessings of God forward. And so it's somewhat of a significant test for the servant's faith and loyalty, mm-hmm. because if he finds Isaac a wife and the plan moves forward, then it, it basically cements his sub- subordinate status. Yeah. And to find Isaac a wife would be to solidify the bloodline. Right. Right. So Isaac has children and those children have children. That's where the seed and the promise continue on from. Yeah. So, so Abraham's inheritance will go through Isaac mm-hmm. to his wife and children and so on. So, we get to this weird thing where he says, place your hand under my thigh. Yeah, that is right? interesting. Which is, is that, that's not really the way that. I've I, never made an oath I that make way. promises. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe like a pinky promise. Yeah, 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 something like that, right? Um, and so it is somewhat mysterious. We're not like 100% sure what this means, but based on the context, uh, it probably has to do with vulnerability. Yeah, right? you, that makes sense. If you let someone that close to you, then you're vulnerable. Yeah. Right? They can they can do things to you mm-hmm. when when they get, you know, that intimately close. And so it takes a significant amount of trust to let someone get that close to you. And mm-hmm. and it takes a significant amount of trust for Abraham to tell the next person in line of the inheritance to go find Isaac yeah. a wife, right? And so that's the symbolic gesture that's that's mm-hmm. seen here. And of course, it's requested that he find a wife not from the Canaanites. Mm. Why do you think that is? We've talked about the Canaanites a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And they they don't seem to exactly be following the Lord, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and they're cursed. Yeah. Right? Through Sons Ham. Ham. Yeah. Right. And they, they are the ones who are antagonistic mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. Um, to to Abraham and his seed. And, and then they're certainly, you know, idolaters and, and yeah. worshipers of false gods. And so uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more here uh, in, in five through nine. Mm-hmm. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. 
Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Yeah, so the servant, Eliezer, asked him a, a very legitimate question, right? Yeah. What, what if she won't come back? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, she says no. <laughs> and, and this has to do with the fact that Abraham said, do not go to the Canaanites. Yeah. Because he's going to go to the area where Abraham's descendants are, and he's going to try to find a wife from them. But even if he finds one, like, what if she won't come back, right? So, mm-hmm. so he says, if that's true, then should I go back to where you came from? So where did Abraham come from? He came from Haran, right? Yeah. So yeah. first he came from Babylon, Ur. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So he's from the Tower of Babel. Yeah. And then he they settle in Haran. Okay. Yeah. And so all of this, you know, these are Gentiles and Canaanites and idolaters and worshipers of false gods. And so Abraham says, no. Yeah. Do not go back to where I came from. Yeah. And basically what he's saying is don't backtrack. Yeah. God called us out here. Right? The whole point yeah. of the story so far is that God has called them out of that. Right. And so he put Abraham in a new land and the promise has to do with that land and offspring in that land. And, and Abraham has trusted God so far and so he's not willing to give up. And I think that this is yet another example of mm-hmm. the exemplary mm-hmm. faith of, of Abraham, patience yeah. and trust in God. He's not going to go back to Canaan, right? That might be the easiest thing to do, to go find a wife from where he came from. Sure, yeah. Right? but he's, he's not going to do that. And so Abraham says, whatever you do, don't take my son back there. Mm. And um, he actually says that an angel is going to guide you. And if it turns out that the woman to whom the angel guides you to is, is not willing to come back to Isaac, then, then you'll be released from this oath. Mm-hmm. And the reason that that's important is because you can imagine that there would be circumstances in this kind of culture where a master asks a slave to do something, and if the slave fails, yeah, he dies. Yeah, right. That's a perfectly acceptable, you know, within that power dynamic of the time, right. master and slave. Mm. But again, Abraham trusts God, so he's not going to treat Eliezer like that, and so yeah. he gives him this promise, and he says that that basically says like, don't worry about it because an angel is going to take you where you need to go. Yeah. So there's been a couple stories so far of angels, right? And for a moment, I want to separate, you know, the angel of the Lord being Christ mm-hmm. from just the idea of angels yeah, sure. helping and protecting and guiding, right? So so the, the stories of angels so far, including the angel of the Lord, there's been two with Ishmael, mm-hmm. both times when he and Hagar are dying in mm-hmm. the desert, mm-hmm. um, leaving and being pu- or being pushed away from the promise mm-hmm. and the angel shows up and basically rescues them. Yeah. Right. Then in Genesis 22, mm-hmm. why yeah. does it, why does Abraham not sacrifice Isaac? The angel of the Lord appears and yeah. offers a substitute. And so on top of a mountain outside of the promised land, yeah. uh, well, no, out, but outside of where, where Abraham is dwelling yes. outside yeah. of the safety and the sanctuary, um, trouble comes mm-hmm. and then the angel shows up and offers protection, right? Uh, so I think that the angel appears and guides and protects the people of God when they find themselves outside of the the, the safety of God, right? Yeah, sure. Outside of under the oaks of Mamre, mm-hmm. symbolically, right? The, the protection of God. So one thing that you're going to see even going all the way forward into the New Testament, into the Gospels, is that when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and he uh, succeeds, Mm-hmm. in fighting away uh, Satan, who takes care of him? Angels. The angels tend yeah. to him. 
in the wilderness. And so they protect the people of God when they find themselves vulnerable. And, and this is a theme going forward. And, and this is true mm-hmm. of us in, in the new covenant as well. And so uh, the angel is promised. And so Eleazar agrees and he takes the oath. He puts his hands under Abraham's, Abraham's thighs yeah. and, he, and he takes the oath. So mm-hmm. let's then do 10 through 14. Then the servant left, taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way down to the town of Nahor. He had the camels near down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. There he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So he goes to Aram Naharim, Mm -hmm. the town of Nahor, Mm. right? Did you remember Nahor? You remember that name? He's been mentioned before. Yeah. So there is like, so you get through the like crazy story of the near sacrifice of Isaac. Right. Then there's a genealogy Mm -hmm. that's tacked onto the end. Yes. And so in that genealogy, I'll just read it. This is Genesis 22, 20 through 24. It says, sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has born sons to your brother, Nahor. Mm. Uz, the firstborn, Booz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Mm. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Rumah, also had sons, Tabah, Gaham, Tahash, and Makah. Hmm. So Nahor is Abraham's brother. Yeah. And there's kind of this juxtaposition because Abraham has two sons, mm-hmm. uh, one of which is gone. And he's named the father of multitudes. And one of which he almost just sacrificed, yeah. right? And so it's juxtaposed to his brother Nahor, who has 12 sons. Yeah. And so we kind of talked about that in the genealogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so when Abraham says, go and find a wife from my kinfolk, mm-hmm. from my people, this is who he's talking about, mm-hmm. the family of Nahor. And so not from the Canaanites, yeah. from, from my family. And in that genealogy, it was, it was kind of uh, uh, projected forward, it, it tells us that Bethuel is the father of Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And so keep that in mind yeah. as we as we see yeah. who shows up at the well. And so the servant prays to God and asks God for grace and kindness for Abraham that he's able to find a wife for Isaac. Mm-hmm. And he kind of asks for like a sign, mm-hmm. right? To indicate that this is the wife for Isaac. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so he says, um, you know, uh, when... She lets, you know, when she asks me for a drink of water, she waters my camels as well, yeah. right? He's just kind of like wants to make sure that he finds the, the Yeah, he's the making right, the right choice, yeah. The right person. Yeah. And so uh, he he asks for, for a sign. And uh, all of this is going to happen at Wells. Mm-hmm. And as we move forward in the story, you're going to see that Wells symbolically become very, very important. Mm-hmm. Lots of important things happen at Wells all the way through into the New Testament. We've already seen a scuffle around a well, right? Yeah. With Abraham's uh, neighbors, right? Yeah, exactly. When he's in Gerar. Yeah. And so here, here's here's what I kind of think the importance of wells are. Wells have water, obviously. That's what they are. They're water wells. And, that, and water signifies life and blessing, right? In terms of biblical imagery, um, gardens 
tend to symbolize paradise mm-hmm. because they're watered, mm-hmm. right? And this is not just in the Bible. This is true of most, most Near Eastern ancient culture. Sure. You know, this is at least proximate or in the desert. And the desert is dangerous specifically because life can't flourish there because there's no water. Mm-hmm. And so gardens, on the other hand, are alive with life, which means that there must be living water, mm-hmm. right? There must be water there that's that's feeding this life. And so in that way, wells are a picture of paradise. Mm-hmm. They're little pockets of life, little little pockets of, of the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a garden. Yeah. And that's because there's water. If you remember in that story, there's actually four rivers that are flowing, yes. right, to the four corners of the earth. Yeah. And, so it's these these well-watered paradises like the Garden of Eden. And so in the garden, Adam was given a wife, mm-hmm. right? That was one of the main stories of Genesis 2. And so here's Eleazar at a well, which is a little picture of a garden, a little picture of paradise. And what is he looking for? A wife for the heir. Yeah. Yeah. A wife for Isaac. And so you're going to see this kind of theme continue all the way through Jacob who, who you know, is part of the offspring from Isaac, is going to meet Laban, who's the father of Rachel, mm-hmm. at a well. And Moses is going to meet Jethro's seven daughters mm-hmm. at a well. And Jesus is going to meet a woman at a well. Yeah. And the woman that Jesus meets at the well is going to become a believer. Mm-hmm. And so she is going to be included in the church. Mm-hmm. And the church is typically called what? The bride of Christ. Right. Yeah. So everybody's finding their brides at wells Mm. because that's what happened in Genesis 2. And it's a picture of life and blessing and and, um, uh, vitality and marriage and children and and blessing, right? Sounds like the place to be if you're single and looking for (laughs) for a spouse. You got (laughs) to head on over to the well. You need to get people off these dating apps and send them out to wells. Go to the nearest well, guys. That's my (laughs) advice. And so uh, Jesus actually says in John 7, he says, let anyone who's thirsty come and drink. Mm-hmm. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them, right? The, the, the kind of like concrete Greek there is that from their gut will flow rivers mm-hmm. of, of living water. And that's because of all the things that we just talked about. You know, water and wells represent Eden, life, flourishing, beauty, and goodness. And what Jesus is saying here is that that's what the church is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that's what the church is supposed to bring to the world, the living water of Jesus. This this symbol of Edenic restoration and blessing is supposed to flow out of us, the church, yeah. into the world and transform all that it touches into further pockets of Eden. And all of that's wrapped up in this theme of water and wells. Mm. And so this entire event and many events going forward that have to do with blessing yeah. and, and um, abundance are centered around wells Mm. right so let's let's see how this let's see how this goes let's do 15 through 21 before he had finished praying rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder she was the daughter of bethuel son of milcah who was the wife of abraham's brother nahor the woman was very beautiful a virgin no man had ever slept with her she went down to the spring filled her jar and came up again the servant hurried to meet her and said please give me a little water from your jar Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar in the trough and ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. 
So sometimes the biblical story is complicated and you have to think through the symbology and all the connections and, and mm-hmm. it's not that clear and it feels mysterious, but sometimes it just straight up telegraphs something and then it copy pastes it into, yeah. right? Before he was even done <laughs> praying. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, here comes Rebecca who was already talked about in Genesis 22, right. the daughter of Methuel and the granddaughter of Nahor. Mm-hmm. And, and look at what she does. Right, she does exactly what the servant prayed to God that he yeah. was looking for. She offers yeah. him a drink, and then she offers water to the camels. And so the servant doesn't actually yet know who this girl is. Mm-hmm. Right, we know it's Rebecca because it says that in in the the text. But Eleazar doesn't yet know, and so he tries to figure out who she is. Mm-hmm. And the way that the text describes Rebecca is important, right? Because these details that are given about her are not given for no reason. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's an intentionality behind it. So it describes her, first of all, as beautiful. Mm-hmm. And this is because she is a picture or a foreshadowing of, of God's bride. Mm-hmm. And so the bride is, is always beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Uh, on a symbolic level and on a real level, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the beautiful things about a wedding Yeah, is, you know, you stand up there and it it is perhaps you know the most the most beautiful that that woman is is ever going to yeah. be because you know you're not typically going to wake up at six a.m. and get yourself right. ready for something until right. four o'clock p.m. Right? right like that's very special and specific and that's why that happens because the bride of Christ the bride of God is is beautiful and mm-hmm. when the bride the church is described in the Bible. It's always described as being beautiful. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually necessarily important to think about her physical beauty. Mm-hmm. What's important is that the bride is always beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so the bride of God, which this is a picture of, which she's a picture of, is beautiful mm-hmm. because the church is is beautiful going mm-hmm. forward, the people of God. Uh, it also says that she's a virgin and that she's never known a man. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of an interesting detail to put in there. And, and here, here's, here's what I mean. You know, when you think about the ancient culture, privacy and sex and marriage was much different than it is for us. Mm-hmm. And so you lived amongst people communally. Yeah. You know, you kind of knew what people were up to. There's yeah. not like private rooms and really like a lot of ways to, to be secretive. Yeah, sure. And and especially because you got married so young, you know, when you're when you're younger, there's servants and there's adults around all the time. And so, you know, whether or not, you know, the 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 bride is a virgin is is, is very rarely a question. Yeah. In in this culture, right? You tended to get married like as soon as you sexually mature. Mm-hmm. So like that's why uh Ishmael was looking for a wife when he was 13. Yeah. Right? That seems crazy to yeah. us, but that's how it's always been yeah. until until very recently. Mm-hmm. In, in in our culture. And so there wasn't like this 10-year, 20-year gap mm-hmm. in terms of sexual maturity and marriage, mm-hmm. right? So to, to think about, you know, waiting until you're married to have sex is much different for a 13-year-old yeah. than for a 30-year-old, yeah. right? Which is the difference in cultures. So yeah. I say all of that to just kind of ask the question, why does it feel the need then to say this, mm-hmm. right? And so... uh like most things that we talk about, I think it's it's symbolic. Mm. It's pointing to something deeper. There's this verse or this regulation really in Leviticus 21, 13 through 15, that describes the high priest mm. and who the high priest is to marry. And it says that the woman he marries must be a virgin. She must not marry a widow 
or sorry, he must not marry a widow, a divorced woman, or a woman defiled by prostitution, but only a virgin from his own people so that he will not defile his offspring among his people. I am the Lord who makes him holy. Mm. So, you know, first of all, there's nothing immoral or wrong about marrying a widow. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing immoral or wrong with marrying a divorced woman. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see a story here relatively shortly uh, about Rahab, yeah. who was a prostitute, and she repented, and there's nothing wrong with marrying her. There's nothing immoral about that. Mm-hmm. That's not the point, right? But for symbolic reasons, the high priest, who according to the book of Hebrews is a type or a foreshadowing of Christ, yeah. is to marry a virgin, is to marry uh, a, a woman who is pure, in that way. Mm -hmm. So you take this forward to the church, the bride of Christ, who is the fulfillment of of the high priest, right? Mm -hmm. Christ is. And so we are his bride and we are to be spiritually pure. Yes. Yeah. Right. We are to be spiritually uncorrupted Mm -hmm. by Satan. Mm -hmm. And so that symbol of virginity and purity is supposed to be worn by us. And, and, we know part of the reason I'm comfortable making this connection is because Paul says this in Second Corinthians 11. He says to them, "I wish, <laughs> I wish to be able to present you, the church, to Christ as a pure virgin." Yeah. Well, what's he mean by that? Mm-hmm. He means to be spiritually pure, cleansed, uh, um, um, not corrupted by by Satan and evil. And so, for the church, uh, we are pure because our sin has been taken away by the death of Christ. We're made pure. Yeah. And so we're presented as spiritually uncorrupted. Mm -hmm. As Paul says, we're presented as virgins in this way. And so we are made appropriate as bride, Mm -hmm. as, as the bride of Christ by Christ. Um, But, but we, the bride are pure nonetheless. And so this is all foreshadowed here with this idea of Mm -hmm. a virgin bride. Mm -hmm. So, you know, culturally, it's hard to understand this stuff sometimes, but you start to see how deep these themes run mm-hmm. that you can uncover, right? That that we are the church, right? Mm-hmm. So you and I are the bride of Christ and how we are beautiful and pure in Christ is foreshadowed yeah. in Genesis 24 mm-hmm. by who the servant is supposed to look for. Yeah. It's, it's quite remarkable. It is really remarkable, yeah. Right? So let's do 22 through 27. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a bakah and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, born to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned me in his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on this journey to the house of my master's relative. Yeah, so she tells him that she's the daughter of Bethuel, the granddaughter of Nahor. Mm -hmm. And so this is who Eleazar has been looking for, right? Yeah, it confirms, yeah. This is the perfect perfect meetup, right? Uh, Everything that Abraham commanded his servant to find Mm -hmm. is right here in Rebecca. And now he knows that Mm -hmm. he knows where she comes from and he knows who she is. And so Eleazar praises God. And and according to what we read earlier, Mm -hmm. is this just a crazy coincidence? (laughs) Certainly not. So how has he happened upon this woman that Mm -hmm. fulfills all of the things that Abraham was looking for at a time when all the daughters were coming out to the well to fill their buckets? Yeah, she wasn't the only one there. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. It's because 
the angel guided him there. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we have a spirit aspect of our hermeneutic, mm-hmm. right? How did Eleazar of Damascus, the senior servant of Abraham, find Rebecca? Mm. The angel guarded, uh, guided him there, mm-hmm. right? And so this is exactly what God said that he would do, and he's done it. Mm-hmm. And so Eleazar praises God. Yeah. So let's do 28 through 33. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm, and he had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out there? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and the water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before them. But he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So this is uh, this is kind of non sequitur and then I'll get into this. Mm-hmm. But I heard somebody talk about how it's kind of interesting um, the the first offer of hospitality that we've seen is to wash feet. Mm-hmm. And Jesus mm-hmm. washes his disciples' feet, yeah. right? And what is typically said about that, which I agree with, is that that's because you're in the dusty, you know, Middle Eastern climate. Yeah. And you have sandals. Yeah. So your feet are gross. Yeah. So you wash your feet before you go into the house. And I think that that's absolutely true. And practically speaking, that's correct. But there's also this thing that we sometimes forget about, which is what's the first thing to be cursed mm, after the fall? The ground, right? The ground is cursed. Yeah. And then when the curse that comes upon humans, which is death, is what? It'll Right? And yeah. then how, what, how is death itself described? From the dust. From yes. the dust you came yeah. to the... And then where's Satan reigning and ruling? He... Where's in the, the dust, serpent? yeah. He's slithering around in the dust, right? Yeah. So... So you have so your feet are covered in dust, mm-hmm. which is cursed, mm. according to Genesis three. Yeah. So when you go into someone's house, you wash your feet off. Mm. Kind of interesting, right? That is cool. Okay, so the young woman who is going to become a mother at some point mm. goes to her mother's house, mm. to her mother's tent, mm-hmm. and tells her mother. So keep that theme of motherhood in mind because mm-hmm. that's going to become important as we go forward. Uh, speaking of family relations, there's also this brother-sister thing again. Yeah, where the brother handles the sister's business for yeah. her. Yeah. Because who comes out to the to the spring, to the well? Her brother Laban. Yeah. Laban, right? So her father's alive. Mm. We'll, we'll meet him. But her brother's the one that comes out. And so he sees the gifts that have been bestowed upon her, the nose ring and the bracelets, and he knows what this means. Yeah. Right? Someone is asking. Yeah. For, for marriage. I like that she's accepted them and she's already wearing them. Yeah. It's like when you buy something new, you put it on right away. She's like, oh yeah. She, she goes back. She's like, I talked to this guy. She's got like a nose ring in her nose already. And so, so Laban, the brother goes out and offers hospitality. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is one of the signs of righteousness, hospitality. Uh, this is good for us to understand, mm-hmm. you know, even in our culture, um, the, the, the first failure of the people of Sodom. Mm was remember they went to that guy's house because they were going to sleep in the square, mm-hmm. right? So that's in, in Judges, right? Mm-hmm. They end up going to the guy's house because no one offers them hospitality. Yes, right? yeah. And so, uh, in, in, you know, and so you kind of see this in Sodom that bad things unfold, but there's this lack of hospitality that foreshadow, you know, that, that, that uh, um, uh, is a sign of unrighteousness mm-hmm. as opposed to when the angels show up 
Abraham offers them hospitality. When they show up to Lot in Sodom, he yeah. offers them yeah. hospitality. And that's because they're righteous, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so hospitality is a sign of righteousness. Mm -hmm. And this is a good start to their relationship. Laban, Laban invites Eleazar, the senior servant, into the home for food. And then Eleazar says, I will not eat until I tell you what I have to say. Yeah. And he's like, okay. Well, then tell us. Tell us. We're so hungry. Let's, let's, let's do, <laughs> this is kind of long, okay? Yeah. And this is another copy-paste thing, so it's kind of like crazy. Mm. But read uh, 34 through 49. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. My master made me swear an oath and said, you must not get a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, the Lord before whom I have walked faithfully will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. You will be released from my oath if, when you go to my clan, they refuse to give her to you. Then you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to this journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside this spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered She watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arm, and I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my, master's Ab my, the God of my master Abraham, who led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show me kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me so I may know which way to turn. Yeah, so basically he just verbatim repeats yeah. the story. He copy and yeah. paste like three things, right? Yeah. So, so Abraham is blessed by God. He's very wealthy. He had a son in the old age. The son is the heir. I had to swear an oath to him to find him a mm. wife, uh, not of the Canaanites, but of you know Abraham's own family. And he said, I'd be released from that oath if she refused to come back. But I came to the well today and I asked God to show me to make sure that the woman I see is the right one. And he showed me all these things and he recaps this, right? Mm -hmm. Word for word. And then this woman said she was from Abraham's clan, just like he asked for, word for word. And so I praised God and now I'm here. And so can Rebecca come back with us and be Isaac's wife? Yeah. Mm. Right? Um, the, the, the Bible repeats things like this because mm -hmm. it wants you to know them, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. um, one of the hardest, I think one of the hardest sequences to read is in um, Exodus when the instructions of the tabernacle are given to Moses. Then he comes down the mountain, golden calf incident. He breaks the, the, yeah. you know, the tablets and there's this whole situation. And then he goes back up the mountain and it's literally the copy same. paste. Yeah the same, and I think it's like three chapters of instructions with measurements and materials. Yeah. And then he later recites those to the people, right? Yep. <laughs> Just and, in case we hadn't read them yep, before. Yep. And so this happens sometimes yeah. in the Bible, right? And and this is what Eleazar is doing. He's mm. describing 
exactly what happened to the people who are going to have to give him permission, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so uh, he asks if Rachel, if, or sorry, if Rebecca can come back and be mm -hmm. Isaac's wife. So let's do 50 through 60. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca, take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he gave the men who were also with him. Then he and the men who were also with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up in the next morning, he said, send me on your way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so that I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. This is a long chapter. Yeah. It's going to be 67 verses by the time we get to the end of it. It's a lot so, of reading. Um, are you tired? Are your vocal cords bit. tired? <laughs> um, so that's not true. You talk a lot. No, so I do. Yeah. You're, you're, you're well conditioned. <laughs> As, this is not even close. <laughs> <laughs> so here Laban shows righteousness again. He hears the story and believes in God and his mm -hmm. chosen one. And so he says, this is from God. How, how could I say no to this? And he says, yeah. take her and go. I like that answer a lot. This is God's order. Yeah. How can what, I say no to it? What am I supposed it? to say, yeah. right? And so the servant gives silver and gold to Rebecca, then gives costly gifts to her brother and mother, mm -hmm. right? Which are two themes we've already touched on. Mm -hmm. The the mother theme and the brother-sister dynamic. Mm -hmm. So I want to stop and I want to talk about this brother thing because this is being emphasized. And uh, what what is what is this all about? It's not just that the brother handles the, the business of the mm -hmm. sister. Something else is going on here. And so we're going to see or we, we just saw in verse 55, it's her brother who says, let her stay with us mm. in the morning, her mother and brother. And then in verse 59, it says, they sent away their sister. Yeah. They sent away their sister, not their daughter. Mm -hmm. Although it could say that, it doesn't say that. It, it says, says sister. sister, yeah. Intentionally, right? And then in verse 60, it says, may you, our sister, sister mm. become thousands upon thousands. Right, so there's this idea of sister, and uh, th that 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 familial relationship is emphasized. And so I think part of what's happening here is that Rebecca is going to marry Isaac, and so she will become his wife, but she's also being adopted into the family of God. Mm -hmm. Right, and so this is why the sister thing keeps coming up. It's mm -hmm. not biological sister, but she's joining the redemptive family of God by marrying the seed. Mm -hmm. And in that way, she's being adopted into the family as a sister mm -hmm. as well. Right. And so uh, you really, like, you really don't have to get weird about this. Mm -hmm. Leviticus is going to make it very clear that incest is forbidden. Mm -hmm. So it's not about that brother sister relationship. This is about something, uh, you know, symbolic. Mm -hmm. And when you read something like the song of songs, which is really like, you know, quite uh, provocative love poetry about sex and desire and marriage. The desired woman is constantly referred to by her soon-to-be husband as my sister, my bride, mm -hmm. right? And so you kind of think about this and it feels strange at first, 
but I just, but I want to, I want to conclude this with this, right? We do this today mm. because if you're a Christian, you're, you're commanded to marry a Christian. Yeah. Right. And what do we call each other as Christians? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. It's the like main thing Paul addresses us as. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that that is being foreshadowed hmm. here. Yeah. Marriage, adoption, the family of God, yeah. your husband and your wife. You're also in a spiritual sense, brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And all of that plays into this narrative going forward. In a couple chapters, Abimelech is going to replay his previous sin, uh, which he did with Abraham and Sarah and learn to regret. And he's going to attack Rebecca this time. Mm. And Isaac's going to tell him that she's his sister. Mm. So when Abraham says that, He's not lying because technically Sarah is his sister, his half sister yeah. related to him. Uh, but I, Rebecca is not Isaac's half sister. Mm. So why does he say this? Mm. And is he lying when he says this? Well, not really because of everything that we just went through, right? She has been adopted into the family. She is a sister of the promise. Sure. Yeah. Which then projects all the way forward into, into the church, mm. right? So you have this brother-sister theme being emphasized for this mm. theological, spiritual, symbolic reason. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. I do, yeah. So let's uh, let's conclude the chapter and see how this all ends up, 61 through 67. Then Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac had come from Bir Laha Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So this is Isaac comes from Bir Lahai Roy, mm. which if you if you remember, that's actually where God met Ishmael, mm. which is and that's where Isaac is dwelling now, which mm. is kind of interesting. And Rebecca veils herself, mm-hmm. so we don't always do this still yeah. in, in in modern day weddings, but classically in marriage, you know, the bride veils herself on her wedding day. Mm-hmm. And then the veil is removed once they're pronounced husband and wife. Yeah. And then the kiss of the husband and wife is a foreshadowing of the joining together of, in one flesh. Yeah. Right. So, so the veil, there's a barrier mm-hmm. between the husband and the wife until they're pronounced husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the barrier is taken away. That, that's what the veil mm-hmm. is about. And so that's what happens here, right? This, this, it's a deep tradition that's referenced in the first 20 some chapters of, of the Bible. And so Rebecca and uh, Isaac get married, mm-hmm. and it says that Isaac took Rebecca to his mother's tent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we get back to the theme of mother. So we talked about yeah. sister, uh, but here's here's the the theme of mother, the theme of motherhood. Um, as we've been reading, especially with Sarah, uh, symbolically speaking, the mother protects the seed. Mm-hmm. Right. So remember, what did she do when she? when she felt that there was a threat. Yeah, she tried to remove it. Yeah, she acted and yeah. she, she moved to protect the, the seed. And so this is the role of the mother, right? This is the mother is the protector of, of the seed. And so Rebecca is going to do this later um, to, to kind of give something away. Jacob is going to want to give his blessings to Esau, 
the oldest son. And so who's the one who devises the plan to have Jacob put on fur and pretend to be Esau because Esau's hairy? Rebecca comes up with that. Rebecca, yeah. right? So she's protecting the true seed. She's mm. protecting the, 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 the line that God has established. You'll, you'll even see this in the book of Judges with, with Deborah, who's a judge, and she's called the mother of Israel, and she protects all of Israel against Sisera. Mm. And so there's this idea of the mother protecting and so that's the role of the mother. And that's what Rebecca's being prepared for. Yeah. And that's why this symbolism of mother keeps coming forward. Uh, and, and all this talk about mothers is telegraphing and, and is, is pointing in that direction, mm. right? Uh, that, that this, you know, that's what the symbolism is, is pointing towards. So Isaac, the seed, in conclusion, has found a wife. Yeah. And so Rebecca will be his wife. And will be his sister in that spiritual sense of adoption and will become a mother. Mm. And so when we think about this chapter and we think about Isaac finding a wife, there's just some things to, to pull out here at the end to make sure that, that we kind of see some of the thematics. Um, the, the wife that the seed finds is not a Canaanite. Mm -hmm. So they're not moving backwards in that direction, right? Yeah. The plan of God's moving forward. She is pure mm -hmm. as a virgin, mm -hmm. which telegraphs forward to the church as mm -hmm. the pure bride of Christ. She's adopted into the family as a mm -hmm. sister, which projects all the way forward into the church as we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And she will be a mother who will protect the seed from Satan mm -hmm. and from evil. And so all of that is, is found right here in this long chapter. Part of the reason it's long is because they keep copy pasting yeah. that, that story about who he's looking had for. had an abridged right? version there, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, just in one chapter, you see all of these things that you can start to mm -hmm. look at, like you and I as the church. Yeah, these things apply to us. Yeah. We're the bride. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the first story where we see someone looking for the bride, yeah. where we see the seed of God, the representative of God looking for a bride. And so, this tells us about ourselves, this idea of, um, you know, the people of God, purity, uh, familial brother-sister relationships in the church, what the church means. The church is beautiful, like mm -hmm. Rebecca's described. All these things, I, I think, are, are descriptions and foreshadowings of the church that you and I make up a part of. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the Old Testament matters. Like Always. Maybe we don't have to say yeah. that at this point, but um, this is why we read the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, in the same way that that story about I, the sacrifice of Isaac is so Christological, mm -hmm. right? To know about Christ, you really should know that story. The same thing is true here. We're the bride of Christ, the church. To know about the bride of Christ, you should know this story. Yeah. Genesis 24, the, the finding of, of Isaac's, the, the promised seed's wife, Rebecca, mm -hmm. right? And so that is Genesis 24. Mm. Got anything else? That's all I've got. All good. All right. Well, we will see you guys next week on Story Simple Spirit. Mm -hmm.